Okay, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Um, that's the text I want to refer to. If I'm going to invite you to stand and read with me. We're going to read actually verses 3 to 23. It's going to be kind of long. It'll be on the screen, so if you would stand. This is out of the NIV. Um, just want you to know that Paul, what we're reading is the, int- the introductory prayer and the introduction to the book of Colossians, which Paul wrote to the believers living in the city of Colossae. He had never been there. If you remember this summer when we talked about when he was going through Asia Minor and he wanted to push into the interior, but the Spirit of God stopped him, right? So Paul never got to Colossae to lay out to see it to some of those interior cities. But the gospel had gotten there through Epaphroditus, um, who we'll read about. And so Paul is writing to a group of believers um, to Colossae. He says, pass it on to Laodicea. It probably was a circulator in Asia Minor um, of just what he's writing about. Jesus as the head of the church. So his focus is really on Jesus. So if you would read with me the word of the Lord, we're starting in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel, it is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and the understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience." and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the light of the kingdom. (sighs) Take a breath. (laughs) That's good. It's long. All right, we're going to go now to verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Praise to the glory of God for that. Praise Him for that reality. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the preeminent one over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation If you continue in your faith, establish firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Is it not good to read the word of the Lord? You may be seated. 
Okay, as you read that, um, and we're going to see this in a minute, Paul bookends that whole section with his heart for the gospel and the gospel going out to all nations. And my guess is, I don't know if you noticed, uh, if you did or not, he said two interesting things that a lot of commentators ask about in the way that he talks about the gospel going out. He, he speaks as if it's already a full-blown reality. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And this is the gospel you heard and has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And it's, the reason it's surprising to hear Paul say that is neither of those things are literally true at that time. The gospel had not yet gotten out of the Mediterranean world. Um, it had not gone throughout the whole world. It had not yet been proclaimed in all creation. And so, uh, and you're probably like, Garen, I didn't even notice or think about that. But that's okay. It's where I wanted to go this morning. Um, so people ask, was Paul exaggerating those texts? And what I'll tell you is that he wasn't, that he was doing something really cool but I want to set it up first, if you don't mind, because Paul knew very well the command of Jesus to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus to all nations. He knew that very well, that that was the heart of Jesus. He knew Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom, it will be preached. And I want you to remember that. I'm going to reference this in a minute. It will be preached to in the whole world, the whole cosmos, as a testimony to all nations, and again, that's the Greek word ethnos. It means ethnic groups. They did not have nation states at that time. To every people group, okay, to all ethnos, and then the end will come. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of, go make disciples of all nations, of all ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Truth, Holy, the Holy Truth, the Holy Spirit. He is true, the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, everything I have commanded. Uh, in the King James in which I learned this, lo, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this command to take to all ethnos, to all groups. In Mark 16, 15, where Jesus said to them, go into all the world, all the world, the cosmos, and preach the gospel to all creation. Um, Katissus is the Greek word. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, why it's important. Luke 24, Jesus says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins, it will be preached. It will be preached in his name to all nations, the ethnos beginning in Jerusalem. Paul had heard from the fo those first followers, the commissioning in Acts 1.8, where he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth to the gates, the ends of the earth. And I want you to know, Paul now he knew that. He was on mission with God. Acts 20, 24. Um, Jace, who's in one of my triads, this is his favorite verse, his life verse. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul was living on mission with Jesus, with God. And here's what Paul knew. As he wrote Colossians, here's what he knew. That it's really, it's all about taking the gospel, the good news, the euangelion of Jesus and of his kingdom. It is about taking that good to all ethnos, all nations, to the whole cosmos, to all of the earth, to all of creation. He knew that that was our mission. So then again, so what's Paul, knowing that Paul knew that, and knowing what Jesus said, what is Paul doing in Colossians with these two statements again? These two statements, what's he doing? Well, I want you to know, many scholars believe that in these two verses, Paul is following in the great tradition of the Hebrew prophets. He's doing something that they did at times. He was engaging in what the great New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce calls prophetic prolepsis. Um, prolepsis is the representation of a thing as existing before it actually does. I normally would not have put that in that sermon, but I threw it in for Gene Barrett, who comes first service, because Gene always tells me, I want a new word every week, Aaron. And so I thought, I'm going to throw that in, because I had never heard prolepsis. But let me use a vocabulary word that's probably more common than most scholars use, which is this. It's, Paul was using what's called the prophetic past. The prophetic past. Here's what the prophetic past is. It is to speak of something which will happen in the future using the past tense as if it has already occurred in the present. The pra this past prophetic, prophetic past was used when it was based upon the promises of God and the certain of that thing was so 
The future of that was so certain that they spoke of it as if it had already occurred. In Gesenia's classic Hebrew grammar, you don't need to know that, but here's what they say. The prophetic past, it expresses facts which are without doubt inevitable, and therefore in the mind of the prophet, they are already accomplished. One scholar has said of the prophetic past that the future is so clear that it is as if it's already come to pass. Let me give you the most classic example of the Old Testament Hebrew prophets of the use of the prophetic past. It's Hebrews chapter 53. And Hebrews 53, speaking of Messiah, of Jesus, here's what they say, using past tense, okay? He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our, our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. That's all past tense as if it's occurred, but this prophecy is happening 500 years before it is fulfilled in Jesus because they were so certain that Messiah would come and that he would be pierced and crushed for our sins that they wrote about it as if it were a past event. Does that make sense, what Paul's, what Paul's doing? So he's following in that tradition. I want you to know Paul knew the words of Jesus and he was convinced that the gospel would inevitably reach to all creation. He was convinced of that reality. And so in these verses, by, by pointing that, them to this reality of the gospel going out to all nations, again, which bookends that section we read, what he's saying is, is Jesus not only commanded that we take the good news to all ethnics, every ethnic group, he not only commanded it, but Jesus guaranteed that it would happen. He guaranteed it. He knew that the gospel not only must go to the whole world, but he knew that it would go to the whole world. And Paul died, even though he died before John wrote these words, he knew this in his gut. So listen to the words of Revelation 7, because this is where Paul knew history was going. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could count, from every ethnos, every ethnic group, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Paul knew in his gut that that was where history was going. And so when I t I've taken the kind of the bookends of it and the last part, kind of the, towards the last part in the middle. But what you can clearly see doing, Paul doing is he's using words from Jesus to talk about a gospel that will reach all nations, but he's talking about it as if it's been accomplished. He knew that it would go out globally to all peoples. Um, he knew it would go to the world in verse 6, the cosmos, like Jesus said it would, to the whole earth, Gase in verse 20, referencing Matthew 28, to all of creation, he's referencing Mark 16 in verse 23. So here's what's going on in Romans 1, 6 and 23, that he's writing to these people that he had never met. And he's bracketing this whole thing in the gospel going out to all nations, that in verses 1 and 6, he is reflecting, it's showing us the utter confidence he had in the words of Jesus, and that enabled him to speak of the future reality as if it were already present, okay? So are we good with that? Um, and that's why I think he says with such certainty, he says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world and has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven because Paul knew that it will bear fruit in the whole world and he knew that it will go to all creation. It had not yet, but he knew that's where it was heading. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk, next week is our missions conference. And I thought, I don't want to come into that cold turkey because Paul had a heart for the nations that's, that's shown in Colossians. He had a picture of where history was going. And so I want to talk about the spread of, all of the gospel into the whole world, into all creation. And specifically, I want to talk about, when talking about God's mission of the nations, I want to talk about something called the 1040 window. The 1040 window was coined by missionary strategists um, Louise and Doris Bush. Um, and it refers to countries that are laying between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees south latitude. That's the 1040 window. If I were to zoom in on it, those are the nations that are in that window. 
It's been recently revised, the list of nations, and here they are. It has 68 countries that are inside of that 1040 window. Within that window, there are 5.52 billion people. I can't even grasp that number. 5.52 billion people. Again, 68 nations. That is one-third of the area's landmass, but two-thirds of the people in the world live in the 1040 window. Four out of five of the top five countries in population, with the U.S. being in the middle of those five, four out of five are in the 1040 window. 1.4 billion people in China. 1.35 billion in India. In the next 10 years, India will pass China as number one. 275 million living in Pakistan. 238 million in Indonesia. If we were to talk about the index of quality of life living, things measured by on like the percentage of people that are literate, that are not living in poverty, um, life expectancy, infant immortality. If we talk about quality of living, that kind of way of looking at things, I want you to know that the 1040 window has 84% of the people who live in the very lowest quality of life. 84% of the people in the whole world, lowest quality of life, live in this window. It is home to the majority of the world's poor. 85% of the poorest people in the world live in the 1040 window. And if we talk about the very poorest of the poor, those living in abject poverty, less than a dollar a day, can you imagine living on less than a dollar a day? Of those people, the abject poor, 73% of the people who live in that window are in abject poverty. Three out of four of those 5.52 billion people live in the very lowest level of poverty. And as we're going to see in a minute, there's this remarkable overlap between poverty and a place having had access to the gospel. There's a very strong correlation between those two. The the 1040 window represents both of those groups, the poorest of the poor and those who least have had access to the gospel. And so in the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about the unevangelized and unreached, and I just want to quickly define those for you, if that's okay. Unreached, the unevangelized first. It refers to people who have almost no opportunity to hear the gospel. They have zero or limited access to it and zero or very limited understanding of the gospel. That's what an unevangelized people group is. America does not fit. And I want to tell you why. Although a lot of Americans are really skewed on what the gospel is, we have unlimited access to it, right? I'm meeting with a guy doing a Bible study every week been moving towards the gospel and making a, a decision and had, he had read a, a, a pamphlet that I had given him and in that was a prayer, right? You guys are kind of familiar with that. And he said, when I read this this week, he said, just two days before that, I was driving by Leavenworth. I saw that prayer essentially up on a billboard on the highway, all right? We have massive access to the gospel in our country, so we're not an unevangelized country. Unreached is a A bigger, more problematic head, not problematic, it's just, it refers to people who have no opportunity to hear the gospel. None, zero, zilch, nada, okay? No opportunity. They have no access to the gospel. Unreached people are not only people who have never heard, they couldn't hear if they wanted to, if they even wanted to, because somebody has to intentionally cross a linguistic barrier and a cultural barrier to take it to them. And if they even were to step out of their ethnic group to a place they could hear the gospel, maybe even a mile away, they don't know the language of the majority to even hear it because they, they only work and deal with their own language. So with that in mind, I just want you to know the 1040 window is home to the majority of the world's unevangelized countries and peoples. Within that window, this is mind-boggling, there are 8,000 822 distinct ethnic groups or people groups within that window. And of those people in those distinct ethnic groups, 6,000 or 69% of those, 6,170 of those groups are unreached. 69% of those in the people groups in the 1040 window are unreached. Remember, zero access to the gospel. That is 3.6 billion people. That is massive. 
That's 61% of the people who live within the 1040 window. 61% are in an unreached people group. Never have had the chance to hear and right now as of today are unable to hear. The 1040 window is home to the world's largest unreached people groups, over one million people. I've got some examples listed there. In fact, 97% of the unreached people in the world live in the 1040 window. 97% of unreached people are in that window. Of the least, of the top 50 unevangelized cities in the world, cities over a million, all 50 are inside of the 1040 window, one of the countries that's in the 1040 window. The 1040 window is the hub of the world's major religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, the world's non-Christian religions. The majority of Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists live inside of the 1040 window. 865 million Muslims in 16, essentially 1,600 people groups, which is mind-boggling, right? Hindus, 550 million in, yeah, we had to correct that. Thank you, Charles. 1,784 people groups. Buddhism, 270 million, 275 million in 900 people groups. Another large category of people, folk religion. You hear probably animism, if you think of witch doctors, shamanism, they just spirits everywhere, just all these things. To They live in a world full of, of evil spirits, which they actually do. But folk religion, 140 million in 2,550 people groups. And atheists, 200 million in China alone. In China alone. And there are atheists outside of China in that area. Other non-Christian religions, you know, the Sikhs. I said the Druids first service. It's not the Druids. It's the, um, the Druze. Yeah, the Druids were the Celtic peoples. My ancestors were Druids. And thank goodness the gospel came to them. Um, the Druze, the Jains, Sikhs, um, the Yazidis. Um, we could hit a few more. But like virtually all of the, the, the religions that are non-Christian are centered in that region. People of this region have the least access to the good news of Jesus than any other region in the world. Nearly all of the people living in the 1040 window are outside of the sphere of Christianity, totally outside of it. 90% of the individuals in the 1040 window are unevangelized, unevangelized. And about three out of every four countries in the 1040 window are closed to traditional missionary efforts, totally closed. We cannot send a missionary into those countries. Um, and those people who live in those countries that are closed, that's over half of the world's population. Over half the world's population. That's why this area, those closed countries, are called creative access countries. That the only way to get the gospel is we've got to be really creative, right? We just part, started partnering with two families who have gone into the 1040 window, creative access. I don't know if you've heard of... One thing that's popular these days is BAM, B-A-M, business as mission. I'm going to do my business and my work, but I'm doing that um, as mission. That's what the 1040 window's like. It's dark, okay? <laughs> it's dark. I don't know what, how that happened, but we're just giving you a, a physical sense of what it feels like to live in the 1040 window. That's all the Lord. Uh, here's what I want to say about this. All this stuff I've given you is that this region is a stronghold of Satan. It is a stronghold of Satan. There is, this place is a place of great physical, of great political, of great spiritual oppression here. And it's a region where Satan has kept the gospel out of it. And those who hear it, just the way their cultures work, they're, they're like blinded to Jesus. They're blinded to it. And there's no other area of the world that so blatantly needs the saving life that Jesus gives them, people living in this region. All people need the Lord. But no region needs it more than this. In Luke 4, 18 to 19, at the announcement of his public ministry, I want, to, I want you to hear what Jesus said, the first words he said in his ministry. Reading from the Isaiah scroll, when describing his mission, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we know there is real poverty, there, is, there are real prisons, physical prisons, there are people that are physically blind, there are people that are, that are truly oppressed. But we also know that there is spiritual poverty, is that not right? 
And there is spiritual blindness. And there are people living in spiritual prisons and who are spiritually oppressed. I want you to know Jesus came for those kind of people. Those kind of people. When you look at the reality of the 1040 window, I mean, he came for everybody, but he came for those kind of people. His heart beats for those kind of people. All right, Audrey, I want you to come up. Audrey, this is Audrey, you see. Um, her and Evan are missionaries that we have sent that are in Japan with OMF. And Evan, you see, grew up at 12th. And the mic, right? Evan grew up at 12th. And you came to college here, right? And you guys met. So literally, they were sent out from 12th Avenue. And so wanted her to come share um, about their ministry that they're doing in Japan. So I, I may have ruined some of it, but quick introduction, if you would. All right. Uh, it's great to be here with you all this morning. Um, uh, yeah, so we were sent out by 12th Avenue. We got to Japan uh, 10 years ago. Um, we have yeah, four kids, ages 10 to 2. Uh, the oldest was 10 months old when we got to Japan, and the next three were born in Japan. Um, so where do we work in Japan? I say, everybody, make a fist and hold your arm up a little bit out to the side like this, your left arm. Left arm. Yeah, works better. There we go. Good job. <laughs> um, so Japan, if you think of a map of Japan, it looks a little bit like an outstretched arm with a little bend in it. Okay, so point at your elbow here. All right, that's Tokyo. All right, so point up a little further. So that's where the big um, earthquake and tsunami and nuclear disaster happened. Now point at your fist up there. There you go. That's the island that we live on up there in Hokkaido. So when you're thinking, oh, oh where do the UCs live? Go. Okay, I got it. All right, so that's where we live in Japan. And right now we're in the United States on about a six-month home assignment um, to reconnect with churches, let you all know what God is doing in Japan. And, yeah, looking to go back in December. Yeah. So what are, um, like, summary of what you're doing, um, what your ministry looks like? Your so um, we are, our heart's desire is for Japanese people to be taking the gospel to um, their neighbors, their family members, their communities. Um, and so to that end, we are starting a house church in, that meets in our home based on um, um, ministry methods that are easily passed on, something that Japanese people can do from the very beginning, um, soon after and even before they come to Christ, something that they're being trained to do. Um, and one of those things we really lean into is Bible storytelling. Um, using telling a Bible story and discussing it as a way of communicating um, God's word. So we use this not only in our home church gatherings, but in evangelism as well. Um, and when we couldn't meet in person, when we couldn't meet and gather during pandemic things, uh, we would make videos of us telling Bible stories in Japanese and uh, send those out to our contacts. I had to do videos. Uh those are fun. <laughs> <Aren't they? laughs> it's harder than it seems. Yes, it, is. <laughs> it was really difficult. Uh, how about a couple of highlights from sure. your ministry? Um, well, work where we are is, is really pretty slow. Like you said, um, there's a spiritual blindness, um, and it can take a long time for that to sort of come off gradually to the place where people um, are, are being drawn to the light of Christ. So four years ago, when we moved to our house in Sapporo, um, there my, our oldest son made a friend at school, um, but his mom um, forbade him to come to our house. She said, you are not allowed to go to that house. You're not allowed to play with him after school. Um, so, but they were, they were great friends at school. They have four kids. We have four kids. Um, and we knew where they lived, so we would pray for them as we prayer walked in the neighborhood. And then one day, about a year later, their son left his lunch kit uh, in the park next to our house, all the kids had gone home for the day, so I grabbed it, brought it inside, washed it, sent it back to school with Gus the next day. And after that, he was allowed to come to our house. Um, and then that next summer, we invited them to come to barbecues on the weekends at our house, and they came. Their family came. And then a little bit after that, we started a uh, parenting discussion group that would meet on Saturdays. And she would come. This mom would come, and she'd bring her four kids um, and we talk about um, how to how to raise kids. And then when we left in June, this woman who previously had wanted nothing to do with us, she came and brought me a little present and a note that said, um, Audrey, you are my dear friend, and I can talk to you about things that are hard. 
And um, I'm really glad you're here, and I'm going to miss you. Bless um, you. A long obedience in the same direction, right? Good job. Um, and then I want to tell you about Mr. Sasaki. So Mr. Sasaki, before we even met him, he had some exposure to uh, Christianity um, and even some amazing experience, spiritual experiences, but was still kind of still seeking. He, he heard that we wanted to start this house church in our home, so he asked Evan about it, and Evan said, well, we really want to you know, gather people, see people gather together where we can read the Bible together and we can share each other's challenges and pray for each other um, and worship together. And Mr. Sasaki said, you know, that, that sounds nice, but I'd really rather just go to a church where someone would read me a sermon and then I could go home. Thankfully, that doesn't happen in America. Right, right. <laughs> Nobody goes to church like that. So um, so we said, okay. But we kept in touch with them, and they came to barbecues, too. That's our secret weapon is barbecues at our house. Um, and then he, he texted Evan. He said, would you study the Bible with me uh, every week? And Evan said, yeah. And he said, great. I'm available on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock. And Evan said, Okay. <laughs> So they do Zoom Bible study, kind of in their pajamas. They sit and they talk um, about the word. And then just a couple weeks before we left to come back to the States, Mr. Sasaki said to Evan, you know, I like our Bible studies and all. They're fine. But wouldn't it be great if, like, Christians could get together once a week and we could read the Bible together and share what's hard in our lives and pray for each other and then we could have the strength to follow God, not just one day, but all week long. And Evan said, I just about fell out of my chair. Um, that, that was just such a great vision for a house church or any church um, to be that kind of community. So Mr. Sasaki, he, I, I believe that he's a believer, um, but he's not yet baptized. So we're looking forward to him taking that step of faith when we get back. I just look at some of the pictures. Snow. Yeah. Snow. Yeah. How, snow. How We're up in guys... northern Japan. We um, we get 18 feet of snow a year. 18 inches or 18 feet? 18 feet. Wow. 18 feet of snow a year. So there's a lot of shoveling to be done. Okay. So, Audrey, I want to switch directions. I mean, we've been talking about your ministry. Love hearing what God is doing through you guys. So I've been talking about the 1040 window this morning. Japan is in the 1040 window. Yes. So you're working in the 1040 window culture. So... If we could put that 1040 window map back up there. Oh, I see you guys do ministry through Catan. That is awesome. Barbecue <laughs> yeah. and Catan. Catan, yeah, board games. Okay. Anyways, game. you guys are in that. Japan. There's Japan yep. up in you the 1040 window. Yep. Yep. That is a difficult area to do ministry. It is. Tell us how, ways you have felt that yeah. ministering in that window. So you feel that. You, you feel the spiritual reality that people are living in. Um, uh, a lot of people see Japan and they see a really modern um, nation and they assume a lot of their worldview must be similar to like in the United States. But then you like I have a conversation with a friend and she's like, do you think people can talk to people who have already died? And I said, well, I think there are some people who experience, you know, who, who ex accept that. What do you think? And she said, well, my grandma helped people in her village talk to their deceased loved ones. Her mom also was training in this uh, skill. So you get, you get that kind of spiritual reality for them. You get, um, like my son went to preschool. We found out one day the preschool had gone on a field trip to the local shrine, and we didn't know that they were going to go do that. Um, there's a, the Japanese proverb that says the four most fearsome things, the four things to be most feared in, in the world in increasing order are earthquakes, thunderbolts, fires, and fathers. And um, I shared this with my son at dinner last night, and he said, oh, yeah, there are a lot of kids at my school that hate their dads. So there's just there's brokenness. Um, there's a family God shelf in every home that we go to. It's got pictures of deceased relatives and um, offerings of, um, alcohol or other food. Um, there's good luck charms. Yeah, it's just the spiritual reality that we live you, in every day. You try day. to start spiritual conversations. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. necessarily easy here. Yeah. But there it is. Yeah, you get a lot of sort of deflection um, 
that that's nice or that's interesting, you know, you can really see that you're, you're hitting a wall with people. There's a lack of um, readiness to talk about spiritual realities. Yeah, and the stuff you had sent to me, yeah. those two really grabbed me. Um, um, yeah, so I said we tell Bible stories um, to people, and um, so many times I know that as I'm speaking the Word of God to someone and telling them the story um, from the life of Jesus, it's the first time they have ever heard the Bible. The first time they've never heard the Bi anything from the Bible before. Um, and that's it's a really amazing privilege for us, and um, it's exciting to see how that happens. And we get a lot of different reactions from it. Some people still are kind of po polite in their deflection, and others say things like, you know, that can't possibly be real. Or one friend told me, you know, you tell me these stories, and they just sound fantastical. And she paused for a second. She said, but tell me another one. I want to hear some more. Yeah. And then knowing that these people that God has put around us as we, we look into their faces, we walk in our neighborhood, we go at the grocery store, and knowing that we could be the last chance that they have to hear about Jesus. Yeah, very weighty. So they're living and ministering in this area, and that, that is a tough area. How can we pray for you, Audrey? Um, you so, guys. Yes, pray for our family um, to walk closely with the Lord. Um, there's no other way. There's no other way. Um, and we're in Colossians this morning. We started in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, um, Paul says, uh, pray for us that God may open a door for our message um, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ and pray that I can explain it clearly as I should. Yeah. So I want to take a minute. Can we pray? Can you guys join me? Um, let's pray for, for the UCs. So, Father, I do lift them up. Just the things she shared, Lord, all of us so desperately need you in our lives and will not bear fruit without you. What a tough region. So, Father, please, Jesus, we know you are the vine, that we're the branches, and we know that if you abide in us and we abide in you, we will bear much fruit, but without you, we can do nothing. So would you help them to walk closely with you, even through the ups and downs of the spiritual life, just help them to stay faithful and connected to you. And Lord, we do pray, as Paul asked prayer for, that you would give them opportunities, that you would open doors. There are people there still yet who are prepared to receive the gospel, to hear it. It will be people of peace. Would you lead them to those people? Lord, give them courage and boldness in sharing it as they should. Pray that you would give them words, that you would season their speech with salt and kindness and grace, Lord, that it would be attractive. So just need your spirit to be at work through them. Continue to give them strength in that hard area. And Lord, may their tribe increase. Bless them. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we give some honor to Audrey and the, the family for what they're doing? Um, great respect for you guys and for the ministry you're doing and the place you are. Um, so this whole thing about the 1040 window, what they're doing, what a number of our missionaries are doing, I'll show you in a minute. Would you not agree that this region, it is strategic in the ongoing task of taking the gospel to all creation? Paul knew that's where we're going, to all creation, to the whole world to every ethnic group, would you not agree this region, this place is so strategic? And that if we're serious about providing an opportunity for people, individuals, for cities, for people groups, for nations, to hear and to encounter Jesus and the story, the good news of his salvation, we cannot ignore the compelling realities of this region. We cannot ignore the 1040 window. This week as I was reading and researching about this, I've known about 1040 window for a long time, but I learned something about the modern missions movement that I never knew before. When the modern missions movement kicked in in the mid-1800s, their initial push was to take the gospel to the coastlands. And that makes sense, right? If you're taking the gospel, got the old schooners or the old boats that they had, that's the first place you're going to take the gospel is to the coastlands. 
and after decades, they were finding success in reaching the peoples in the coastlands and realized that the task was unfinished. And so God led some new generations. They shifted their focus, not ignoring that, but they shifted their focus to reaching the interior regions with the gospel. That's where you had some of the famous missionaries and missions we've heard of. Hudson Taylor started the China Inland Mission. The Sudan Interior Mission was started. The Africa Interior Mission was started, where they're like, we've got to make a push into the interior lands of these countries to take the gospel, and saw a lot of success. And within the past several decades, there has been a new move of the Spirit, a new emphasis. Again, not neglecting those two things, but a new emphasis and focus on getting the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. And do you know where almost all of them are? 97% are in the what? The 1040 window. The 1040 window. That we have got to really put our efforts, not to, I mean, we, I'll come back to this in a minute, but we have got to take the gospel to places <coughs> where there is no access, where they, there is no gospel witness. There is not a single church, a single body of believers in that place. They don't even have the scripture in their language to be able to read the word of God. We have got to get the gospel to those unreached people, and most of them live in the 1040 window. Two examples. One is OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, who they work with, which started as Hudson Taylor's China Inland Mission. It was reaching the inland of China. That was their goal. But they have since broadened their vision, and their goal is to reach all of East Asia, which is in this window. Not, I mean, I can say smack dab in the middle. It's not in the middle, but it is there. It's an important part. And to take the gospel to everybody in that region, including the unreached. Their website, I was looking, says, we share the good news of Jesus Christ in all its fullness with East Asia's peoples to the glory of God. We're passionate to demonstrate and proclaim the good news to East Asia's billions, many of whom have never seen or heard. Never seen or heard. I'll forget the other example I have. I'll just skip over that. I want, to, I want you to know in the missions world, there's this consensus that it is imperative that we find innovative, creative ways to reach the billions of people in the 1040 window. This is imperative. And in order to com fully complete our mandate to preach the gospel to every person, to make disciples of every mission group, I mean of every people group, to be his witness to the uttermost part of the earth, we have to have kind of an all-hands-on-deck sense of urgency about this. We've got to have that sense of urgency. And I, I want to make one thing really clear in emphasizing the 1040 window. I am not recommending or saying that we curtail or minimize Christ's work that's going on the rest of the globe. No minimizing going on. There are lost people everywhere. There are lost people in this city. Just Thursday, Scott Strom and I had coffee at Starbucks outside, and there was a young lady sitting close to us in a phone conversation, obviously very distressed. And we weren't listening in, but it was obvious she was distressed. As soon as she was finished, we asked her if we could pray for her. And we did. And she just had such an emotional reaction because of some broken things in her life. And I was able to go back later, and initially, but to share the gospel with her. There are people in our midst who need it. So I'm not minimizing the work of Christ in any region or area. I'm not saying we curtail what we're doing, okay? But I want to tell you, we have got to give a renewed focus on this region. And we do it by two things, two ways. Um, number one, deliberately sending personnel into this region. And for most of those places, it's not a traditional missionary. It is somebody doing something, a unique kind of work. It's like that business's mission. That we're intentionally sending personnel there and that we're just looking for creative strategies to get the gospel in there. The Jesus film, they'll let in a team with the Jesus film like it's a movie, right? And, but they won't let in a missionary. Just we've got to think of all those creative, innovative ways to get the gospel in there. And just speaking of 12th, I want you to know that I really feel like 12th Avenue has excelled at this. Here is um, a map I mean, here's that 1040 window, and here are places where the yellow are missionaries are currently serving. The, the white are ones who have recently retired who were in the 1040 window. Um, the two pink X's that are up there with the arrows that we have two people with OC, um, one challenge, who are sending, they're helping to, 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 to train missionaries to send into this region. 
we support uh, a missionary who was working online with people in Pakistan and India. He had to leave. Traditional missionaries had to leave the area, but he's online reaching people through that. Um, the Eichelmans, and not the Eichelmans, the Richardsons. And then we've got um, Chris Ankar, who's working with the Jesus Film Project. It's all over that area. I've got the B-52, not the, yeah, the, I mean, the Boeing 737 up there. I mean, we've got Missionary Aviation Fellowship. They don't fly those, but the, that are, are using planes and getting the gospel to those nations. There's a lot that 12th is supporting that's going on here. And I want you to know that a little over a third of our mission dollars that you give to Faith Promise go to the 1040 window. The national average in churches in America is less than 10% of their dollars goes to the 1040 window. A little over a third of our dollars go there. It has been a focus of 12th, and as long as I'm up here, it will continue to be a focus. God's mission to the nations, and particularly having a heart for this region of the world that so desperately needs him. So to 12th, my task, my call is this. I just, the task is urgent. The task is urgent. Paul, again, oh, and can I go back? The international students, do you know that 80% of the internationals who come here come from the 1040 window? 84%. We've had students from 46 of those 1040 window countries here in Emporia, Kansas. God brought them here. Okay? The first Chinese student that became a believer here in 19... 91 was from an ethnic group and the day we baptized him, I'm like, Ma Kun, you're from a minority group, right? He told me it was the way people. I, I had a book on the unreached people, looked it up. His people was in the unreached people group. Okay, I don't know, but he could have been the first person in that group to come to know the Lord, and it was here. Okay, there are so many Muslims these days that come here that are so open and willing to talk. We never saw that before. The group right now that's most receptive to the gospel that are here, the students most involved in Bible study are Japanese. Okay, so God's doing a lot with the 1040 window, but I just want you to know the task is urgent um, for all of us. And it's not just Paul's task, it is all of our tasks. When he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace and of completing Jesus' mission of the nations. That was his task and it needs to be ours. It's not just his. And I want you to know, missions is for everyone. It's for all of us, every single one of us. Not all of us are going, but all of us need to be involved in some way, in some tangible way. It is for everybody. So I've got a question, a couple of questions, and a challenge that I want to end with. Here's the question. Here's the question I want you to ask for yourself. I'm going to give you a minute to think, but before God, is your life in alignment with God's mission to reach the nations? Is your life in alignment with what God is wanting to do in the world. And specifically, I want to ask you this, because his heart breaks for this region. And we're just going to take a minute. I, I just want you to ask the Lord, does my heart break with what breaks your heart? And is my heart broken by this reality? And I want you to ask the question, just for a minute, with the Lord. Is my heart broken by this reality that breaks your heart? Lord, is my life in alignment? Not just my heart, but my life. Here's how you know your heart's in alignment with the Lord. Your pocketbook is in alignment with what God's trying to do with the nations. You pray for people who are working like the UCs and the nations. You get a letter from at least one of the missionaries we support or some missionary that you're, you're reading about it, you're praying for them, that you're trying to contact them to encourage them. Um, you're educating yourself on what God is doing in the world. 1040 window is just one thing. There is so much going on in the nations right now. That's incredible. But educating yourself. Um, that Last week we talked about your home being a training ground, right? That your home, part of your home life is we're intentionally exposing our children to God's mission to the nations, reading missionary biographies. We're praying for missionary that you're intentionally bringing the home. And to me, it's even considering is God calling me to go. He doesn't call all of us. 
but am I, is my heart, am I open and willing for him to tap me on the shoulder? And I want to tell you, if you're not aligned, here's, here's my challenge. Next weekend is the missions conference, and I want to challenge you to be there, okay, and come all in. And don't just come Sunday morning, okay? Come Sunday night, singles, families, families. We're going to have a carnival going on, cross-cultural things going. Bring your family. Let them breathe that air. Let them get exposed to that through that carnival. Listen to George Murray that night. I've said it the last few weeks, but that guy is a powerhouse preacher. He is a man of God. He will challenge you profoundly. I'm so excited he's coming. Then come Sunday morning. I mean, we're normally here Sunday morning, but be here Sunday morning. But don't just stop there. Come Sunday night. He's doing a two-part sermon, and you're only going to get half of it, and not the most important part if you just come Sunday morning. That night, we're going to be having a meal in here together. So be here. Get your family here. Talk to your triad and say, let us as a triad or as a quad, let us be there. Talk to your small group. As a small group, let's show up and sit at a table together. But let's be here to hear about God's mission for the nations and what he's doing and what he's doing in places like the 1040 window. And next Sunday, when we do the meal, the people that are cooking that is Christian Challenge. They're going to be cooking that food to raise money to send students next summer on mission trips. And do you know what region they're going to be sent to? The 1040 window. So by showing up next week, you're not only getting challenged, but we're able to help them eating the food, contributing to help send some of them to this part of the world. So that's my challenge. I love Paul's heart. We all love Paul, right? His heart for all the important things, for knowing Jesus, wanting to know him, to experience his suffering, all the things, but his heart for Jesus' mission to the nations that's expressed in Colossians. And he knew the end of history. Okay, I want to be a person that can say at the end of history, I gave to that. I prayed for that. I supported people who did that. I kept contact with people who did that. I don't want to be a person that sits there and like, wow, look at what God did among the nations. And I sat on the sidelines. And my heart wasn't engaged. And my life wasn't in line. So 12, let us be a people aligned. This week, Jordan Steinman said, if you're new to 12, or you've been here a few years, he said this missions conference is the crown jewel of what we're doing here because these flags are not just decorations. We want to have God's heart for the nation, so be here. Can I pray? Enough. You've heard enough, right? All right. Father, man, the reality of this place, this region is staggering, and it breaks your heart. You so long and desire, and you will get the gospel there. But you partner with us to do that. So help us to have broken hearts, Lord, for this region. And help us to put our lives in alignment with what you're doing so we can get more people and more resources into that place. And Father, I pray as we move into that missions conference next week that we as a church, that we would be there, we would hear, we would be challenged, that we would just take in more of what you're wanting to do to reach all nations, all peoples. And Lord, always keep 12th that kind of place. Keep us hot with passion for what you care about, Lord. May we never lose our passion for this. And we pray for the UCs. Lord, uphold them, uphold all of our missionaries in that region. It is a tough region. Give them strength. And I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So 12th, I mean, that, that young lady we saw at Starbucks, there are a lot of people like that. So you are sent to pray for people and to bless them and to have open eyes for the gospel. And you are sent to prepare your heart to be here next week, full bore, right? Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. So, all right. God's grace and peace to you guys as you go through the week.